Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language. With me, Ollie Richards. Hello. Good morning, everybody. This is Ollie Richards here. I almost forgot my own name. It's Ollie. <laughs> it's Ollie Richards here, back with the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. And uh, yeah, well, what can I say? I've been a little bit erratic over the last month or so. This uh, is what tends to happen to me in the summer sometimes when I'm doing a lot of traveling and things just get on top of me. And uh, sure enough, that happened this time. I've just been in Japan for a couple of weeks. Fantastic couple of weeks. Um, I really, really, really want to tell you about what I've been doing there, actually, because it's been so much fun. And we've been recording a lot of material on location for my new Japanese Uncovered course, which is out in uh, early October. So I want to tell you all about what I've been doing, but that's going to have to wait because we've got a very special guest who is uh, on the show today. If you are new to the podcast, well, welcome. This is where we talk about language learning, and I use my my many years of experience learning many different languages to try and help you along the way a little bit with practical advice, tips, and suggestions for improving your own language learning, getting to your goals faster. I don't even know what episode we're on now. We've done over 300 of these things, and um, I love every minute of it. So I don't have no plans to, um, to, to stop anytime soon. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. That way you're going to get these, uh, these podcasts delivered to your podcast feed, wherever you like to, to get them. And today we have a very special guest because I'm speaking to Scott Young. Now, Scott Young has got a new book out called Ultra Learning, and uh, he's doing the rounds at the moment on different podcasts, um, being interviewed on lots of different, uh, well, on the same topic, actually, which is the topic of his book. But what you're going to get from this podcast is a deep dive on his principles as applied to language learning. Actually, when we started the conversation, I did plan to cover all kinds of things related to his book, but we had so much to talk about when it came to what he calls ultra learning and how this applies to to language learning that we just ended up spending the whole time talking about language learning. It's going to be a two-parter because it was quite a long conversation. And uh, Scott, for those of you who don't know him, so Scott is a well-known blogger. He started his blog as a student um, when he used to publish blog posts about how to study. After graduating, he moved on to writing about how to learn new skills that are useful in all areas of life. And that's basically what he's been doing ever since. He's well known for his MIT challenge, where he did the entire four-year MIT computer science curriculum in just 12 months. How about that? And then he, about five years ago or so, um, applied his learning skills to language learning. And he spent a year traveling around the world to four different countries, learning four languages, Um, which he called the year without English. And I remember following that project along at the time. It was really, really interesting. And so all of this experience in rapid learning um, culminates in this new book, Ultra Learning, which is out now. And uh, you can get it from fine bookshops everywhere, although most of you will probably get it from Amazon because that's just the way the world works uh, these days. So before we get into the interview, I would like to thank the sponsors of the show, the fantastic italki and Scott um, when he was doing his year, his year without English, he, in fact, no, after I should say, after the year without English, he because he came back 
to Canada where he lives and wanted to maintain these languages, these four languages that he learned. And italki was indispensable for him because italki is the place where you can get language practice online with tutors and you can get a free lesson by going to iwillteachyourlanguage.com forward slash free lesson. So it's time to dive into this conversation, part one with Scott. In this part of the interview, you're going to learn what is ultra learning and what are the different parts to it? How do you apply ultra learning to language learning? And the principle of directness, which is something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about since our conversation. So without any further ado, please enjoy part one of our conversation with Scott Young. If you would like full show notes, um, extensive show notes that, um, that James on the team has put together, then you can go to iwillteachyourlanguage.com forward slash blog, and you'll be able to scroll down and find Scott's interview there. Well, let's get started. So I am delighted today to welcome Scott Young to the podcast Stroke YouTube because we're doing both things over here. So uh, Scott, thanks for taking the time. It's good to see you. Oh man, I'm so excited to be here. Right, we have a lot to talk about, but the, the, the premise of this, of, this, uh, of this conversation is you have a new, a new book coming out called Ultra Learning. Mm-hmm. And um, we are going to, throughout this conversation, dive into various aspects of this. We're going to talk about what ultra learning is. We're going to talk about some different applications uh, of this of this learning process in language learning and outside language learning, first of all. Um, but maybe just to kick off, for those people in, in the audience who don't know who you are, could you maybe give us the, uh, the cliff notes of um, Scott Young and then sure, uh, touch sure. on what this project is all about? Yeah, so I've, uh, I've been writing a blog for about 13 years now, and for a bulk of that, I focused on the subject of learning um, it started sort of when I was in university writing about kind of just being a student and having to cope with exams and studying for things. And then later it turned into, after I graduated, into how can you learn skills that are really useful and valuable in your life. And so I've done a few projects uh, that have been kind of the main sort of main thing that I'm known for, I guess, um, related to learning and related to ultra learning, the kind of topic of the book here. So one of them was a project I did about eight years ago called the MIT Challenge, which was to learn MIT's four-year computer science curriculum uh, over 12 months using their uh, free online materials, trying to pass the final exam to do the programming project. So that was sort of my first big project. Uh, A couple years after that, I did a project I called The Year Without English. And so The Year Without English was a project where I went with a friend, so close to uh, Ollie's heart here. This is about language learning. So we went to four different countries, uh, Spain, Brazil, China, and South Korea, with the goal of trying to learn the languages in each of those countries. And the method that we used is that once we got off the plane, we used what we called the no English rule. So with each other and with the people we would meet, we wouldn't speak in English. We'd only speak the language we were trying to learn. And I would say it worked uh, fairly well. So we actually have videos on our website of the level we reached in those different ones. So you can see kind of not only early clips of us struggling, but also interviews we had with various people kind of at the end points of each of those months. You can kind of get a sense of how we were coping and conversing and and whatnot. And, uh, And then I've also done other projects to learn things like portrait drawing and quantum mechanics and cognitive science and various things like that. So this has sort of been kind of an obsession for me over the last 10 years has been the question of how do you learn things well? How do you learn effectively? And I've spent the last three years really putting together all of that stuff in this book, Ultra Learning, which covers not only my own experiences, but a lot of other stories of really fantastic people who've learned hard skills in kind of innovative ways 
as well as some of the cognitive science that explains why certain methods work really well. And as I'm sure you know, and you discuss frequently, some methods don't work so well and, and why that is. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in, uh, in, in the sort of limits of, um, of what this the kind of concept of uh, accelerated learning. Is that a good term? Is that a term that yeah, you relate to? Learning. Well, the, the book, I, I use this term ultra learning, which uh, was someone initially used it to describe one of my projects and it kind of became sort of like, okay, that's a way of, instead of just calling them learning challenges, I'll call them ultra learning projects. But the ultra learning idea is just, it is a combination between two things which you don't often see together. So one of them is self-directed learning, which is in contrast to kind of how we often typically think about education, where you show up to a classroom and a teacher tells you what to do and you know, you just follow along the instructions and you, you don't have a lot of control or guidance over the process or self-directed learning, as I'm sure most of the people who are listening here probably are thinking that way with their own language learning, that it is when you are kind of deciding, okay, this is a skill I want to acquire, this is what I want to acquire for, what's the way to get there, whether that's going through a class or even through studying on your own. And then the other part of the process is that this strategy for learning is aggressive and aggressive is kind of a vague term. So to define it more clearly, if you look at a lot of the research, there's different aspects of the research that show that something that's harder, something that's a little bit more frustrating, maybe even a little scarier at first, is nonetheless more effective for learning than the kind of typical or status quo method. And so the aggressive approach just means that the people who engage in this ultra learning are, are interested in effectiveness. And they're interested in doing what will get results, again, not just, you know, whatever's most fun or just to fritter away the time. And so this book, I tried to kind of share some of the different perspectives on this strategy, as well as, you know, again, some of the research behind why, for instance, if you're a student, why you should be doing recall instead of review and why that's much more effective or why being able to do activities that are closely related to how you're going to use it is much more effective for learning. So just little examples like that. Yeah. Okay. So I think maybe the, um, to try and make this as concrete as possible, why don't we dive into what ultra learning actually is through the lens of language learning? Because you, you've mentioned sure. that earlier. There's so many things I want to ask you about. I want to ask you about the MIT challenge. I want to ask you about the nine yeah. principles of ultra learning. But let's use language learning as the, as the gateway in, into this world. Because um, I guess my, the, the first thing that I want to explore with you is the way in which language learning is representative of, of, of the strategies that you would use to learn other subjects. Because one of the things that I've often thought about with language learning, and I, and I, and I, I understand there are lots of challenges to this perspective but one of the things i've always found challenging about language learning is that you know people approach it as a set of stuff you've got to learn learn all these words learn all those verbs learn all those rules and then voila you have the language but it doesn't work like that because learning to speak a language is much more but is as much about learning to kind of manage yourself manage your social interactions learning to you know it's, it's it represents often more of an art form than a sort of set of discrete knowledge so talk a little bit about how um let me ask you this. What surprised you in your year-long journey to learn four languages? What surprised you about how your methods served you mm -hmm. and then when they stopped serving you or didn't serve so you so well? One of the things I can just say right now, right off the bat, is related to what you said of that a lot of people, I think, do think of language as you get enough words and you study enough grammar and maybe you practice a little pronunciation and then that will just automatically make you a fluent speaker. And anyone who's actually done a language knows that 
that's, that's not the case, that there seems to be something else missing or some other ingredient. And so one of the big topics that I ended up covering uh, in the book is the whole principle I call directness, is that there has been research going back decades where psychologists have found that people are really bad at transfer. So transfer is this idea that if you learn something in one context, let's say in a classroom, and then you want to apply it in a different context, say in real life, people are surprisingly bad at taking like what should be pretty obvious to go from the classroom to real life. They don't do it. So one of the studies I just love is it found that um, economics majors did not do better on questions of economic reasoning than non-economics majors. Uh, In another study, it it was found that um, students who have taken high school psychology classes don't do better at college level psychology. And there's like many, many examples, like from all sorts of subjects. And this includes languages. And I think, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche almost to say right now that a lot of language education is unsuccessful, that people spend five years learning French in high school and you know, they can't, they can't go to France and they can't speak French or they spend years in, you know, especially in America, often learning Spanish and then, you know, they don't actually speak Spanish. And so part of this problem, I think, is again, this view that we have that learning is just these components. Now, certainly vocabulary and grammar and all these other things are very important, but there's so much more to learning. And so when we're talking about Um, You know, my own trip, one of the things that I thought was, this is never going to be covered in any language curriculum. Well, maybe they will after they listen to this, maybe someone will cover it. It was such an important skill. And what the skill was, is when we were early on in the country where you don't have enough words and phrases to really get by, one of the key skills was being able to pull out your phone and look up stuff on either Google Translate or in a dictionary mid-conversation to be able to like bridge the gap of the things that you don't know. And this is an example of something that like, well, you know, skilled dictionary or translator use is not on the curriculum item for anyone learning a language. They're like, no, 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 you must actually learn the words and the the phrases and these kinds of things. And yet it was an invaluable skill for getting through that moment. The other thing I think is very important too, is that we often think if you think of languages just in terms of vocabulary and pronunciation and grammar, it tends to be kind of an abstract thing rather than a tool that we use to communicate. And so I think once you start viewing it again through the lens of what is my goal, what am I actually trying to accomplish with the language, you often learn it in different ways than you would if you just treat it as a kind of inert academic subject. And so I found that uh, when we were traveling that, again, there are it's sort of surprising sometimes what words you end up mastering and what words you don't that is kind of almost completely disconnected from what you would learn in a textbook just based on use and frequency. You know, we were, um, you know, there were, there were some aspects cause we were also doing some videos and like video related and recording terminology were things we learned like first week in every country because we had to <laughs> communicate with each other using this. Whereas like words like, you know, camera and recording and this kind of stuff are very rarely on the like intro list of vocabulary. Um, you know, a sentence that we learned in the beginning of everything is, you know, we have a project to learn, you know, this language, we're not speaking English, like that was a phrase that we learned basically day one. And so I think, again, it's not to say that learning vocabulary and learning grammar and these kind of things don't matter. But just if you take a sort of principle of directness, it just says that you should always start by thinking of how you're going to use it, and at least spend at least some of your time in that usage situation, 
because otherwise you end up with this problem where you learn it in this classroom, yeah. you try to apply it over and it, it just doesn't work. It's interesting. It's like the problem is, is almost a few layers deep because I mean, everyone is, everyone who spent any time with language, anyone who spent any time with languages will have heard the principle of, well, you know, just try and, you know, uh, filter what you learn. So only try to learn the stuff that you try to learn the stuff you're going to need first. But the thing is, there's almost like another step removed from that, which is that you only get to discover what it is that you really need when you're actually out there and using it. So there's, there is, there's this, this big unavoidable um, gulf between any conceivable academic situation almost and what you actually need um, in the real world. So I'm wondering... And this is, we're going to, I'm going to jump about all over the place here. So, yeah, so, yeah, no so bear with me. This principle of directness then, so as, as you just described, as you just summarized it, is the idea that there's only so much you can do in an academic study environment. You've got to get out there and use the language um, in order to discover what it is that you then need to learn. How well, does... I would just jump in. I would just say two things about it, just so that we can be clear about what mm-hmm. directness is. So the first thing is, again... Thinking about learning in terms of how are you going to use something is not really how we're taught to think about learning. We think about learning in terms of content, that there's some material to have remembered in your head. And I think that that's not a very useful way of looking at it. And the reason why is because of the second point. So again, thinking about how you're going to use it. Are you going to use this language because you want to watch movies or because you want to go to the target country and speak with people or because you want to have conversations with your baba in Russian or, you know, these kinds of things are very important. The second thing is to recognize that much of what is the difficulty, this problem of transfer exists is because knowledge isn't just saved on our brain like it is in a computer. It's not just stored there inertly for whenever you want to access it like a file. Rather, the, the ability to retrieve the right knowledge in the right situations is often much of the difficulty of remembering. And so to be able to recall what is the word for X or how do you construct this sentence in the situation that actually calls for it is challenging. Now, it's a little bit easier with languages than, let's say, some abstract subjects because, you know, if someone's speaking to you in Chinese, for instance, you're quickly like trying to activate any Chinese knowledge you have. Whereas if someone gives you, you know, some word problem that you don't realize requires trigonometry, maybe you won't activate your trigonomic knowledge just because it's not clear that the situation requires it. So there, there is some benefits to language learning compared to other subjects in that way. But in the same sense, it's the case that if you just work through a textbook exercise, and we, we can go into a, one of the big critics, uh, like I'm not a huge fan of Duolingo for learning languages, and one of the reasons for that is that the activity that you do on the phone is, is quite dissimilar to what you would do if you were actually in a speaking environment. And I think a lot of people who are studying a language for the first time aren't aware of what a gulf of discrepancy there is. So they spend six, six months with Duolingo and then find that it doesn't transfer very easily because the act of you know, picking things out of a word bank is nothing like actually speaking a language. Well, it's, it's interesting you use that example because just yesterday I, was, I posted on my Instagram actually a, um, a Forbes write up on um on language learning apps and it, it included an interview with the chief revenue officer of duolingo and this paragraph this this paragraph began um i can't remember the guy's name but the chief revenue chief revenue officer of duolingo had been using duolingo to study spanish for the last six months six months yeah six months yeah. and the interviewer spoke spanish and so uh, she said to him um hablas espanol and um apparently the guy stopped thought and then said, sorry, could you repeat that? 
And I thought, that's after six months. And I thought, oh my God, like that is so the worst possible. Easy, in the- it's easy to pick on people who've been studying for a long time and don't speak it very well. Like one of my secret fears is whenever you tell people you learn a language, like people are just going to like test you. Now it turns out people don't actually want to test you that often. But I will say this. If you would ask me, hablo espanol, I would say hablo espanol. I agree with you about the test. I might be able to do a PhD dissertation right now in Spanish about all the terminology in my book. Right. But I think again, it's, and this is, a, this is the thing that I feel is so tragic about this, is, and this is why I wanted to write this book, is that my, my goal in this book is not to say, oh, you should never use something like Duolingo, or you should never use this studying method because this is superior or, or something like this. Rather, I want you to understand what are the ingredients? What's actually going on in your head when you're learning so that you can understand what are the deficiencies of something like Duolingo? So even if you love Duolingo, you, you know, it's fun. Like it's a fun app. Even if you love it, what are the things that are going to be missing? And you should be aware of that so that you don't end up, well, this guy's the CFO or whatever of this company. So, I mean, like he, he's kind of doing it because he works there. But if you've been using it on your phone for six months because you think that's going to be adequate prep to go to this country, I want you to be aware of, what are going to be the things that you're going to find challenging? And so very often, I think the correct way to approach learning is not to say, this is good, this is bad. I think that's too simplistic. It's rather, what are you trying to accomplish? And what are the things that need to happen for you to get there? And sometimes you're doing 30% of those things. And sometimes you're spending all your time focusing on X, and you're completely mm-hmm. neglecting Y. And that can become an issue. Just like, as I said, you know, if you're going to go into a country for immersive purposes, being able to deftly use your phone to quickly look things up and quickly, you know, you know, integrate into the conversation is a super important skill that no language course is going to teach you. So you've touched on one of the, one of the things that I find as someone who writes about languages and language learning that I can actually find most, I can help people with the most, which is almost a preview of the different stages of learning. Because one of the things that, you, that you've been touching on is the idea that you need to be able to, you need to know the limitations of the particular methods that you're using and then adapt accordingly. But of course, if you're doing something for the first time, if you're learning a language for the first time, if you're learning any subject for the first time, you don't have a map of the territory to guide you through it. You don't know what the practical, um, the, the, well, you don't know what the practicalities are of the, of the following stages of learning. And it can be very difficult for someone who's doing something for the first time to kind of understand, for example, okay, I've been using Duolingo for six months, like what's next? So yeah. how do you think about the, the challenge of assessing, evaluating your, a path of study and adapting according to emerging needs? So you, you just teed me up perfectly there. No, so oh, the look first- at that. Well, the first principle of my book is called meta-learning and the actual, the sub subtitle of that chapter is uh, first draw a map. And so basically before you approach any learning project, I invest spending a little bit of time doing research and there's two ways that this research manifests. So one of it is to find great blogs. Like if you were going to learn Spanish, I would really want to find blogs like yours, which are going to walk through what are the ideas involved in learning Spanish or what are the ideas involved in learning Chinese, we were talking about our friend Ale Linye, and he's got, you know, a website hacking Chinese. If I were starting to learn Chinese, I would want to find his website. And so my idea is the first point is that you want to be aware of what are all the methods, resources, things people use. It's a little bit like if you were going to buy a car, you wouldn't want to just go to the lot and just pick the first one you see and be like, all right, I'm going to drive that one out of here. You want to be like, what kind of cars exist? How much do they cost? You know, what are, what are the reviews people say about these cars? Now I'm not saying you need to become an auto mechanic and you need to be like perfectly knowledgeable about all these cars, 
but you should do a little bit of research. If you're going to spend hundreds of hours learning a language, which I mean, why wouldn't you? If you're going to spend a lot less than that, you're probably not going to get too, too far with the language. But if you're going to spend hundreds of hours learning a language, you should spend at least like, let's say a weekend doing some research ahead of time to figure out what resources and materials you use. And so that would be the first part. The second part of meta learning is to figure out what are the actual kind of cognitive activities in learning a skill. And this is again, going to our point. If you're starting out with something, this part of your map is going to be sketchier in the beginning than later because you might think some things are sort of really important and then later you're like, hmm, actually, no, this is what's necessary to succeed with this skill. However, as you do more of these ultra learning projects, as you have more experience, it's easier to start to see, okay, what would be involved in doing this well? So with language learning, like an obvious, like, top three big chunks would be like, you know, pronunciation, grammar, vocabulary. And this isn't to say that those are the only chunks as we just talked about. There's a lot of, like, kind of connective tissue, so to speak, that allows these three sort of big bulk areas that you would be practicing in order for them to function in the real world. However, they would be something that like, if I'm starting to learn a language, it would cue me on to, okay, I'm going to need to have some way to remember things, right? I'm going to, there's going to, memory is going to be a component of this because there's going to be lots of words to learn or things like, you know, I'm going to actually have to practice using my mouth to form strange sounds. And like, I might want to know a little bit about that so that I can produce it or, you know, various things like this that would be important in your starting point. And the goal, again, is not to understand, you know, get a linguistics PhD and understand everything about languages perfectly, but to kind of lay the groundwork of, you know, for instance, if you were to look around, I've, I've had a number of conversations with people who study languages, you will know that Duolingo is super popular among people who don't learn languages a lot, and it's not very popular among people who learn a lot of languages. And that's not just because everyone likes to hate on the popular kid. It's, yeah. it's because, you know, people who are really serious about learning languages tend not to use it. And so my feeling is that, again, you would discover that if you did a bit of research. But again, most people don't do any research. They're just like, oh, I heard of that Duolingo, or I've heard of Rosetta Stone. Let's just download it from my computer. And so that would be a first starting point for any uh, ultra learning project. I think things like languages um, are especially useful here because there's so much that has been written and said about how to learn languages well that I mean, you could spend years studying the art of learning languages, but even for skills that are somewhat more abstract or difficult or that you're not as familiar with spending again an hour or two of like, how do people get good at this is a very useful investment in the beginning, just so that you can at least be aware that, you know, well, actually some people don't like this for reasons X, Y, and Z. And even if I'm going to use it, I might, you know, I'm just going to be aware that there might be a drawback or a hitch later on. This conversation is very difficult because I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself having to choose between 10 different roads that we could go down at, at each, uh, <laughs> each pause. What surprised you about, well, actually, before I ask that question, what, what sure. the four language, the four languages that you learned on, on your year, without English. Was that your first major language learning? So, I, so it's funny because I talk about this in the book that the reason I did this approach to learning languages is that I've done the other approach. I've done another way of learning languages. So I'll tell this story kind of briefly because um, I, 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 this, this sort of no English rule, it sounds like if you have never tried to learn a language before, that's rarely where you start. You very, very rarely start with, I'm going to go knowing because almost no one goes to immersion on day one because it yeah. sounds terrifying. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that sounds like complete overkill. Why would you want to do that? That's, you know, it, to a lot of people, that sounds really unappealing. And I know that it sounds unappealing. I, I've even given it with my friend who I went traveling with that. We gave a little TEDx talk kind of after a trip. And I joked to him, I was like, 
this advice will work. Like it, it will work. If you're prepared to do it. Ninety-nine percent of people who are interested in learning a language are going to be like, "Oh, that sounds interesting." I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And so the reason why we're doing this, and the reason why we did do this to learn languages, is because I had the other experience. So when I was in university, I had the opportunity to go on exchange in France to study French for a year. And I didn't make any no English effort. It was, I'm going to be studying in English when I'm there. So I, I, I had not studied a lot of languages in school prior. I did Canadian, so I'd done a little bit of French, but very little. And so I wasn't like capable of doing university classes in French, or at least I thought that I wasn't capable of doing university classes in French. So I, I've got to study in English. And you go there and of course you meet all the other exchange students and you don't speak French. So they start speaking to you in English and then you meet people and they're French people, but they're trying to practice their English and they hear you speaking English. And so they also practice with you in English. And so, you know, I would say the vast majority of people that I met, I'm speaking to in English all the time. And it was only after a couple months that I realized, oh, what a terrible mistake I've made because I'm trying to practice this language and 90% of my social time, 90% of my conversation time is spent speaking in English. So it doesn't matter how much I study at home, I'm getting one-tenth of the possible practice I could be getting. And the, the thing that happened there is that I was there for a year and I do feel after a year, like I did work really hard at it and I was able to get to a kind of medium or lower conversational level, but it was always a struggle. Every single conversation I had to be like, okay, you know, let's do this in French or really push at outside of my comfort zone in order to get there. Whereas when I was in Spain or when we were in these other countries, um, because just from the very, very starting point, it was like, okay, I know I'm terrible about this, but we're going to just hablar en español. Like we're only going to do that. That it meant that we were getting on a different track. And the different track was that, well, everyone we meet knows that we're speaking in Spanish and everyone, you know, it, it just becomes a different bubble that you surround yourself with. And the outcome of that process was that after about a month or two, it was completely comfortable to live entirely in Spanish. Now I want to say completely comfortable does not mean completely fluent, but I think that's an important distinction because when I talk about this process, most people imagine, well, that must just be torture, you know, like it must just be complete torture to not speak your native language for, you know, a year, right? Like that's just incredible. But really, after a couple of weeks, you'd be surprised how much you adapt to it, how much you kind of fulfill your communication goals in this other language, even though you're not, you know, perfectly fluent. And I would say, you know, yeah, by about like a month or so, we were, you know, had friends, we were going on dates, we were doing stuff like that. By about three months in, it was completely relaxed and comfortable. It wasn't difficult at all to study. And so this was one of the big kind of you know, for me wanting to write this book is just because if you can get on the right track with your learning process, if you can engineer your environment to reinforce your learning goals, if you can use the right methods that allow you to actually remember things that actually allow you to improve your skill, it can be worlds apart from the ineffective method. And so I feel for people like you were talking about this chief revenue officer. <laughs> well, not so much because he's, he's <laughs> the one who brought it, but uh, but for people who spend six months learning Spanish and then someone say hablas español and, and, and they, they have to stumble and think about it, you, you feel like the problem is you. You feel like you're not smart enough and you don't realize that actually learning is just a system like anything else. And if you can you know, integrate the right elements into the system, you can learn more effectively. So this was for me my kind of like I did this extreme approach because I've done the other approach. And honestly, the other approach is actually more difficult. So. So your experience from French and from understanding that very important realization that your kind of lack of airtime um, 
in the language, your lack of time actually spent speaking the language was going to be a permanent handicap in, 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 to, your, to your progress. That resulted in when you came to do your, your, your year without English, you're making the decision, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steer it as, clear, as, as far possible away from that mistake and instead have a nothing, a, a zero English rule. Was that a direct consequence, a direct decision that you made based on that? Yeah. So, well, the thing was, is that, again, it's like going back to my experience in France. I was there for a year. Beginning part, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just kind of stumble into it like everyone else. I'm studying at home, but I'm struggling. I'm talking about these experiences. Probably about four months in, I remember I was starting the second semester and I was like, that was when I realized that I'd made a mistake. And I was like, no, I shouldn't have done this. And I wanted to transfer to the French classes, but the school said, no, you can't do that. You're Did you manage to reverse the situation like in, the, in, the, in the middle? Well, no, like I partially, like I was able to do it partially, but the problem is that, you know, you already have all these friends, right? And a lot of the friends, yeah. you know, don't speak French very well. So what very are you going to do? Not hang out with any of your friends anymore? Like, again, this is the problem is that a lot of people think, well, I'll just start off using English. See, this is the thing. I'll start off using English and then I'll switch when I'm ready. And the problem is, is that by the time you're ready, you've created a social environment around you that's very difficult to change. And you can change it. I know we talked about, you know, our friend uh, Benny Lewis and his first experience was changing it in Spain. But I mean, you have to be pretty hardcore. You have to say, you know what, all the friends that I've been making, I'm not speaking in English anymore. So if you don't yeah. speak Spanish, that's too bad. Or if you only wanted to be friends with me to practice your English, that's too bad. And I think most people just aren't willing to make that adjustment when you've already, you know, you made friends. You don't want to be rude to people. You don't want to be like, oh, no, I'm going to be an asshole now and only speak in this language that you don't understand. However, if you start off that way, you just, you meet different people, you get into different groups, you form different habits. And so it's really, uh, that initial point is very important. And I do think it makes a big difference. I think um, for, for us, when we were going through this process, it was a few things. So it was my experience going in France. And then I think it was a couple of years after I had the opportunity to live in Paris for a month. So this is after my experience. And I was like, at this point, I was like, no, you know what I should have done? I should have just been only French. And so I, I think it was just a month long period of time. I mean, admittedly, I'd already had a decent French ability at that point, but it was, and then I did that month and it was like, oh, wow, actually, this is a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. And like, this is how I should have done it from day one. And, and so sort of coming back, I remember talking with my friend who was, we were considering going on this uh, trip and I was started bringing up the idea of learning languages. And I was saying how, you know, I just had this experience of one month in France and, and I was like, you know what, this would be the right way to do it. And my friend is super skeptical. Um, I mean, he's not, uh, he did not grow up in Canada, so he grew up in India, so he speaks Hindi and English, but he never, like, he learned that from childhood, so he's never done this kind of, like, go to a new country and just learn a new language, and so he was super skeptical, he's like, yeah, I don't know whether this is going to work, like, I don't know, like, I'm going to go there, and, like, you know, this might be terrible, like, I might not learn anything, and the funny thing was, is that after we went there, and we did apply this approach, like, he's, you know, his, his Spanish was so night and day from, like, day one to day, you know, 90, that, you know, people were coming up to us that had met us in like the first week or two. And they're like, oh my God, like you can actually speak Spanish now. And when we were talking to you, you couldn't string three words together. And so to me, it's funny just how much people think it's about talent and think it's about this when often there are just methods that are just light years apart in terms of their effect. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you do enjoy the podcast, then you're going to love some of the email courses that I've created. These are completely free email courses which are written specifically for different languages and different levels. I've spent years writing these things. So whether you are an intermediate Spanish learner or a French beginner or Japanese advanced, whatever it may be, I've got email courses that give you some of my best tips for learning those languages at different levels. So whether you're struggling with how to get started, whether you want to know how to understand native speakers when they're talking really quickly at you, whether you want to get better at learning grammar, I've got stuff for you that I send out completely free over email. If you'd like to get these tips, then please go to IWillTeachYouALanguage.com forward slash tips. That's IWillTeachYouALanguage.com forward slash tips, T-I-P-S, and I'll get them sent out to you right away.